It's Friday, August 11th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, we head to Hawaii, where wildfires there have destroyed parts of Maui and killed dozens. Investigators are exploring what started this horrific event with arson, a possible cause. I'll explain. Second, we have new inflation numbers. They are in for the month of July, and they're higher than expected, driven in part by rising fuel costs. But that wasn't supposed to happen. I'll explain why it did and what it means for your pocketbook. Third, Joe Biden has asked Congress for another $20 billion in aid for Ukraine. And that is despite the fact that most Americans are saying no more. I'll lay out the facts and talk about why we should care. Finally, some good news. The U.S. government has recently announced that it's going to start testing foreign-made pharmaceutical drugs for things like contamination. And that's good, but haven't we been doing this for a while? Hopefully, maybe? Well, the answer is yes, kind of. I'll explain. Later, we close out the podcast with some, well, I'm just going to say it, excellent news. The Right Report now has subscriptions. Folks, it's a way for you all to support me and the future of this podcast. So I'm going to tell you all about it coming up. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. Massive wildfires are burning in at least three different locations on the Hawaiian island of Maui this morning. As reported by Reuters News uh, News Service and others, one of the fires is on the western volcano called Haleakala. Another is in the central city of Kihei. And the third and frankly most devastating is in the resort city of Lahaina. That is a city of 13,000 people, which as of this morning, at least 53 individuals have lost their lives. An additional 20 face very serious burns. Meanwhile, more than 2,100 people are in emergency shelters throughout the island with tourists either sheltering in place or being flown to Oahu or back to the mainland. Now, the good news is that the fires are about 70% contained, but quite obviously still are burning in some areas. So authorities, folks, have launched an investigation into the cause of these wildfires, which I should note do happen every year as a part of the natural cycle of the local environment. But there is reason to believe that that might not be true in this case. For instance, back in May of 2022, Maui News reported that three people conspired to light six different fires, wildfires, also that one of these people could avoid arrest. The idea is that the fire would distract local fire department and, of course, police services. So as we mourn the individuals who have been lost throughout Maui this morning, I'll be watching for whether or not we have another case of arson or some other cause. Now, in the meantime, if I might pivot to my analysis and opinion, I would just offer us all a little bit of caution because I'm seeing reports that are blaming uh, these fires and these deaths ultimately on climate change. Well, as we can and certainly should debate whether, say, dry climate conditions in Maui were caused by a particular climate phenomenon like climate change. Well, my friends, it is likely that the ultimate culprit is something, well, a little less controversial. It's likely just another case of arson. So that is what I will be looking for. And of course, We'll update you on as I learn details. More to come. 
With that, let's move on to our second brief of the morning. And this one, folks, it's all about your pocketbook. The Labor Department yesterday released its monthly report on the nation's consumer price index, which is just a fancy way of measuring inflation. Well, unfortunately, that CPI rate, that popped a little bit higher than we would have hoped, up from 3% in June to 3.2% in July. And that is the wrong direction, right? Inflation rates have been falling for about a year with the Federal Reserve hoping to get that number to 2%. So even a modest little bump of 0.2%, it's not exactly welcome news. Although I should say some economists are insisting that that's not exactly an awful number either. Nevertheless, most of the increase of that 0.2%, it's coming from housing costs with some additional rises in things like food, diesel, and gas. In fact, the price of diesel went up last month for the first time in eight months. That is according to Bloomberg News. And that's pretty weird. Summer is typically when those prices go down. And in fact, that is what I shared with you back on July 10th with some analysts saying that gas and diesel prices should drop by late summer or into the early fall. Well, what happened? Uh, Well, if you recall from the brief back on the 10th of July, I said that things could turn for the worst and prices would go up if we had one, unexpected production problems in the global oil markets, or two, if weather played havoc with our refineries in Texas and Louisiana. Well, that is what happened. Let me explain with something that you might not know. Refineries have a sort of Goldilocks temperature that they need to function properly. And if that temperature gets over 100 degrees, well, oil companies have to slow or shut those refineries down. As Tom Closa of the Oil Price Information Service said, quote, it's like running an engine at a very hot temperature for a long time. They can seize up. Well, as you recall, we've had a pretty toasty summer, especially in Texas and Louisiana, well over 100 degrees. And so that's why some refineries in Texas and Louisiana dialed back their production throttling from 100% of capacity, give or take, to around 85% of capacity at most. So that ultimately has led then to less supply and this pop in prices, which unfortunately, again, we are seeing in these inflation numbers and you are probably seeing at the pump. By the way, if you're putting gas and diesel on your credit card, well, you're not alone. Americans' credit card debt just hit $1 trillion for the very first time with $45 billion of that added just over the past couple of months. And that actually helps explain these stubborn inflation levels, right? Consumer spending is financed, well, in part by all this credit card debt. So bottom line, ladies and gentlemen, the U.S. economy, it's muddling along with a mix of good and bad and really kind of weird news, actually, about the future. So ultimately, I would encourage you all to keep an eye on those credit cards, of course, because average debt levels are at a 10-year high. And my goodness, if you have any debt on those credit cards, well, you probably know this already, interest rates, they are hovering around 25% for those credit cards, at least based on a recent report from Forbes.com. With that, my friends, let's take our first break of the morning. Enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners, remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or a service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue, shall we, with our briefs with a pivot towards national security. And we start with an update from my special brief on Wednesday that was all focused on the war in Ukraine. And to refresh our memories from that brief, I shared with you that the Biden White House and Congress have issued over $60 billion in deficit spending for that war effort. Plus, I shared with you that a growing number of Americans want that cash spigot to Ukraine to shut off. 55% of us are saying no more to Ukraine, at least according to a poll from CNN. Well, never mind all that. Well, and here's why. Yesterday, Joe Biden asked for $20.6 billion more for Ukraine, with $13 billion of that for weaponry and around $8 billion for humanitarian aid. So he's making this request during a time in which, well, as the Washington Post says, The Ukrainian counteroffensive is sputtering, quote, end quote. That, of course, matches the counsel that I offered you on Wednesday. And as you may recall, it helps explain why President Zelensky continues to increasingly use some pretty risky operations in places like the Black Sea and inside Russia, Moscow specifically. He's trying to show progress. But as for this latest request from Biden, you know, for the extra $20 billion in more deficit spending, Well, Republicans got the message and, uh, well, they didn't have many good things to say about this. One said it was a non-starter. Later, Republican Matt Rosendale of Montana said this, quote, we still don't have an accurate accounting of the 66 billion that we have already sent to Ukraine. So with the disaster that is taking place on our southern border, why are we even considering this to Ukraine? End quote. Well, whatever you think of Mr. Rosendale and that comment, the bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, it is, well, probably dead on arrival, at least in the House of Representatives. Meanwhile, Newsweek magazine put out a report just two hours after Biden made his announcement for more aid. And Newsweek is saying that, well, there are fears of corruption within the Zelensky administration, and those fears are growing. Although I should be very accurate here. Newsweek said that Zelensky's commitment to anti-corruption efforts is now in doubt because of how he is handling corruption cases and personnel that are connected to something called the Ukrainian Special Anti-Corruption Prosecutor's Office, or SAPO for short. So the details of this get a little bit murky, filled with names that are very complicated to both say and understand. But the upshot is that it has to do with a Ukrainian prosecutor that was recently and effectively dismissed at Zelensky's direction. And as Newsweek said, it's a development or a firing of this prosecutor that, quote, raises serious questions about the prevalence of political manipulation inside Ukraine's nominally independent anti-corruption organizations, end quote. Although I must say, if we're going to be honest, we shouldn't be surprised by this growing concern of Ukrainian corruption. Over one year ago, the Associated Press and NPR reported, well, they reported on concerns of Zelensky's firing at that time, also of a different prosecutor and their staff, perhaps, they said at the time, due to internal politics. Meanwhile, last December, Reuters News Service reported that Zelensky was getting in some very heated political fights with Kiev's mayor, all about politics at the end of the day. 
So the point is, ladies and gentlemen, is that just because there is a war, it doesn't mean that the politics stop, nor the corruption. And that is why, ladies and gentlemen, this anti-corruption organization that I have mentioned before on this show, it's called Transparency International, they still label Ukraine as one of the least clean governments in all of Europe, and in fact, one of the most corrupt nations in the world. So those are the latest facts and data out of Ukraine this morning and Washington, D.C. So my analysis and opinion, that remains pretty much the same as I offered to you on Wednesday. But to refresh our memories on that, folks, we are $32 trillion in debt with estimates that we are going to hit $52 trillion by the year 2033. And that debt load is ultimately unsustainable. It is an existential risk to this country. And that is why more aid ultimately means more trouble. Now, as for this issue of Ukrainian corruption, I'll tell you, here's my idea. I would love to see an official assessment done by the U.S. intelligence community about how bad it is. Now, I'm not saying that I would trust that assessment wholly. I would just like to see what degree of confidence they have in whatever assessment they might offer. And if I could be king for a day, I would love to see the intel behind the scenes that they use to justify their assessment. But nevertheless, the point is this. You and I, as taxpayers, we deserve to know more about our partners in Ukraine. Right? We deserve to know where $60 billion and counting has gone and how much of it is likely going into the pockets of politicians in Kiev Although I should say not in just Ukraine, maybe a few politicians in the U.S. too are lining their pockets. Maybe they're, uh, I don't know, hypothetically, their sons as well. I'll keep you posted. Finally, this morning, some mostly good news to leave you with as we part ways for the weekend. On Tuesday, the U.S. Department of Defense announced that it was going to partner with a Connecticut-based laboratory called Valisher to independently test dozens of common drugs that you and I take from over-the-counter medications uh, to prescriptions, actually, all of which are sourced from abroad. So this deal is ultimately going to be having this Valisure look for harmful chemicals and unwanted substances, which, as explained by Bloomberg News, is a pretty common concern. So let me give you the backstory here. Two years ago, the U.S. Congress directed the DOD, or Department of Defense, to lead the government's efforts to identify the risks of America's medical supply chain. And that is because what we learned during the pandemic, we are quite vulnerable. And as we learned, most of our supply chain for all these various medicines comes from abroad. I will say that the exact number of where these medicines come from, that's debated. But in short, the majority of Americans' medicines come from either India or China. Well, not only is that a national security concern, obviously, it's also a pretty serious health concern. And that's because those foreign laboratories and those foreign manufacturing facilities in these various countries abroad, they're not necessarily checked or audited with any regularity or consistency. Now, they should be, and they are to a degree, all by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or FDA. Now, the reasons for that we'll get to in a moment, but I'll tell you, when these different foreign entities are eventually inspected, the FDA on a number of different cases has found some pretty serious trouble 
For example, the cancer drugs uh, uh, carboplatin and cisplatin, those two drugs are right now in very short supply, all due to an Indian company that shut down following a, a snap inspection by the FDA that found hidden shredded documents about poor factory quality making those cancer drugs, which, yikes. All right, because of that, the DOD and this Connecticut lab are going to be a little bit more aggressive, a little more frequently involved in checking the supply of foreign medicines, all to ensure, well, a couple of things. First, correct dosage inside of these drugs, of these pills and these powders and liquids, as well as looking for things like carcinogens and other toxic compounds. So if I might pivot now from facts and data to my analysis and opinion here, so clearly this has been done, this checking by the FDA on occasion, but not consistently. And that's a little bit frightening, isn't it? Because we really should be starting to do this with more consistency. Now, people direct their arrows and criticisms at the FDA because they apparently have failed on too many occasions. Well, the FDA says that they are underfunded and there might be some argument to that. Meanwhile, others say that lobbyists end up protecting this industry, and that is why we don't do as much as we should. But regardless, there's overall good news here, isn't there? The DOD in this lab gonna be doing a lot more checking. And I think that I can say that regardless of our party affiliation this morning, this partnership of this lab and the Department of Defense, it is a very good use of taxpayer dollars and frankly, our time. Although, if I may, I think that the better option would be to bring this stuff home. My goodness, if we can send a man to the moon, we can make our own medicines. No Chinese or Indian suppliers necessary. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. And boy... Is this next piece of news, not just good news, it's great news, and it has been a long time coming. Today, I am thrilled to announce that subscriptions to The Right Report are at last available. And my friends, by subscribing, you're not only going to get additional value, you are going to be supporting me grow this podcast into, well, what I have long dreamed for it to be. So let me explain how this subscription process works, how to sign up, and it's just going to take three easy steps. First, go to the following website, rightreport.substack.com. Again, that's rightreport.substack.com. Now, if you forget or you can't quite figure it out, that's all right. Use your current podcast platform, go to the show notes for today's episode, and you'll see the link. It'll be right there. All right, second, once you get to writereport.substack.com, sign up for a subscription. I have a few choices, $6 a month, a little bit cheaper for a year, or there's an option called founding member. That's for those of you who are blessed with both the financial means and the belief that I'm building something pretty special here. All right, third and final step, after you subscribe, you will get an email confirming your subscription and it's gonna prompt you to quickly set up a Substack account. And then each day, you will get a morning email in your inbox with a link directly to the right report. And each morning, you will see 
the podcast with no ads. You will see a transcript with all the links to all the sources that I use. And you'll have the ability to comment on each day's episode or start conversations with me or other subscribers about what you think. And here's the deal. From those comments, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use them to form the questions that I use to close out each podcast or darn near each podcast. In other words, I say one more thing and then I talk about what you all think, just like I do now, right? But in the future, instead of just taking emails from everybody, well, I'll take it just from the subscribers. That's going to be a way that I will honor the folks that have honored me with a subscription. One last thing. I'm also working on a way for subscribers to gather with me virtually once a month for what's usually called an Ask Me Anything session. And as that name suggests, y'all can ask me whatever you would like, and I will do my level best to give you thoughtful responses. And you can ask me about things from, well, events around the world and my CIA experiences or whatever you'd like. Maybe even a few fun memories uh, from my many years on the family ranch. Like, for instance, we can talk about my first 4-H heifer. <laughs> her, na uh, her name uh, was Babe, and I was not sad to see her go because she was nasty, and I enjoyed eating her hamburger. But that's a different story. Any rate, if you have any troubles signing up, ladies and gentlemen, please shoot me a note. Go to my website, briandeanwright.com, and we will get that figured out. So, folks, I would be so honored and so humbled if you provide this support and your subscription. I've gotten so many great ideas over the past four really months, year from many of you all about what else we could do. And I've embraced many of those ideas. I just need your help to get there. So if your finances and your spirit allow, thank you for subscribing. Again, that website to do so is rightreport.substack.com. And again, it's in the show notes today. If you click on that button on your podcast platform that says uh, go to episode, well, at least if you've got Apple Podcasts, I believe other platforms have this same function. And by the way, folks, if you're not able to subscribe right now, that's all right. I I've got friends and family that are financially, things are a little bit tight or they are on fi uh, fixed incomes. So just know that whoever you are, wherever you are, I am so grateful for you. And I am so honored to have you along for this daily journey. And I'm very excited because with your help, I am going to keep working so very hard for you and ultimately for this country. Just one right report at a time. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you on Monday, God willing, for what will be our week-long special on Dirty Green Energy. Until then, I leave you the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. If
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.